LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, before we get into this week's book breakdown, I just wanted to let you know that we are a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. So, who is the voice of the network? That's Chandler Benoit. It's Chandler Van. Chandler Bing. <laughs> So be sure to go to leadership.lifeway.com slash podcast to learn about all the other podcasts that are a part of our network and text yes. leadership to 888 to enter our book bundle giveaway this month. So it's only for this month and we're going to be doing something else next month, but be sure to text leadership to 888 to enter that giveaway and to download a free ebook. Well, let's listen to the podcast. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. Talent is overrated. Book breakdown edition. Sorry, uh, I, I was. I'm really excited about it. So, you know the the title of this book is a bit controversial. It is. It is. But we're gonna get into what it's all about by Jeff Colvin. Geoff. <laughs> He's a Geoff. Jeff. Geoff. Geoff. You did you have a Geoff as a friend growing up, or did you have yes. Jeffs? As friends growing up. Yes, and Giaf um, Surat is a friend as well. Yes, it's true. I'm thinking Jeff, Quality both leader. ones, hockey players, but that's okay. Uh, hockey's all right. Yeah. I mean, you know. But Tiger, now by oh, the time. I know. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe everyone, another one. Everyone. Another yeah. Time. But by the time, so at the time of this recording, Tiger just won yesterday the FedEx Cup. And he's mentioned in the book. He is. They, and we specifically will. talk about Tiger. Yeah, and everybody thinks that he, you know, is a prodigy and all this stuff. It's just a really, this is a really interesting read. We should probably go ahead and get right into it. The, the, the title is actually Talent is Overrated, subtitle, What Really Separates World-Class Performers from Everybody Else. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to any of our other book breakdowns, then be sure to check back on the feed and, and look at those ones. But today, let's start with the first question. What is the book and why does it matter? All right, I'll go first. So what's what's interesting here is as, as we were talking about what talent is all about and if it's overrated and what separates world-class performers from everyone else, uh, the author actually makes an interesting point here as he's talking about what makes people excel uh, and and actually, here's a list on what doesn't make people excel. All right, so here's here's his list. Number one, it isn't experience. Number two, it isn't specific inborn abilities. And number three, it isn't general abilities such as intelligence and memory. So he actually then goes into different individuals' lives to prove that these things are not what cause people to excel, but it's actually something else called deliberate practice. Yeah, and so I that's an excellent summarization. So I don't know that I need to summarize it again. Um, you'll see this borne out. Uh, this book was pretty uh, pretty well received. Mm. Um, and so you'll see follow-up books like Peak um, and also Grit, um, yeah. Duckworth's book. Mm. Those are very similar. So we probably won't break down either one of those books because we're breaking down this one. Back to the sources, right, Daniel? Back we go to back to kind of original content versus things. <laughs> we try to. Been, yeah. Um, and so with this, uh, with this whole idea, the idea of deliberate practice, you know, you can see borne out again in things like uh, Gladwell's 10,000-hour rule. Mm. You know, the idea there is if you do something for 10,000 hours, you 
can basically become an expert at it. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, when I first picked up this book and started reading it, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this because I'm a StrengthsFinder coach. And StrengthsFinder is all built on the fact that, you know, there are 34 themes. These themes are not strengths. And we'll do an episode on that too. Uh, these aren't strengths, but they're actually categories or themes, areas where you can have talent. And as I was reading through and reflecting on this, initially it may seem like that idea of strengths finder and living off your greatest talents, it would be opposed to this, but it isn't actually because a strength is talent multiplied by investment. So when you look at this, part of part of the thing that he doesn't really talk about, which mm-hmm. I don't like about the book, is he is he doesn't talk about talent as being an important factor. Right. right. Even when he talks about Tiger, he's kind of just saying, hey, it's because of all the practice that he had done. But really, there is a place uh, as that 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 talent does exist. That talent is, well, but yeah. you need to pour in a lot of investment. Okay. So uh I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast or not, but I did. Everybody knows I grew up in a rural area, but both sides of my family um, had hunting dogs and bred hunting dogs and mm-hmm. traded hunting dogs and all that kind of stuff. Um, so mostly hounds and bird dogs a little bit. Um, but with all that said, the interesting thing about uh, <laughs> about dogs, this is going to sound bizarre, Um but you can have, from a pedigree standpoint, the genetics are there, man. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do the training, you're just going to have maybe an average hound or dog. Uh, however, you can take an average dog with average pedigree and with a great deal of training, you can have a really great dog. Mm. And so I, I think that um, it, it – I, I know people are going, Adkins, come on. You're equating people and <laughs> – Coonhounds to dogs to to yeah, yeah. no it's okay. a fascinating illustration no it is yeah. but it, it is you can take there's certain genetic innate abilities that we are given yeah uh, and the difference often between you know the person in your class at school who gets the the class superlative of most likely to succeed isn't always the people that succeed hmm. it may have been intelligence it may have been some innate ability. Uh, all these things, but you know, we've re- referred to the revenge of the C student before on air, and, and that is some of the people that do become most successful aren't necessarily those people that you would think. And there's examples of that throughout the book, so we should probably get into the book. Yeah, all right. Well, let's go through our book quick hitters, and then we'll go into how this book is applicable to leadership in the church. So, our first book quick hitter is Who the Author Is. Now, Jeff is (laughs) just an award-winning thinker, author, broadcaster, and it was neat going through his website and and his speaker page and and what he presents on. Uh, He's actually thinking a lot about how humans differ from AI, and and these days, that's kind of one of his newer books, what he's speaking on recently. But honestly, he's a a longtime editor and columnist for Fortune magazine, and uh, he has a Harvard Honors graduate degree in economics and an MBA from New York University. So this guy is, he has chops. Yeah. He has a lot of chops. <laughs> uh, yeah, you'll find him on the radio quite a bit too. Yeah. On NPR and That's other right. places. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Now, who's the book written for? Uh, the book is written for really business leaders. 
However, I, I think it's very easily easily applicable to church leaders. So mm-hmm. business leaders, it's to say, hey, you know, you don't have to think about it as hiring the person who's the most naturally talented or has the just the right experience or the most intelligence. It's the people, you know, it, it's really everybody and everybody's got the ability to improve greatly if they have deliberate practice. Yeah. It also talks about um, some ways that you can help people do that specifically with like managers and stretch assignments and different things as well. Eli Lilly, uh, I remember from the book, found that um, people who were being asked to do more because, you know, one of the things that um, the book talks about is, hey, the key elements that of deliberate practice are designed specifically to improve your performance. You have to repeat them a lot. Feedback is continuously available. It's highly demanding, demanding mentally, but it's not much fun. Mm. So the the idea is, you know, special assignments, you're going to grow 10 times and 10 times more than you would normally in a moment of crisis than you will. There's so many nuggets yeah, so in this book. Yeah, so let's we'll we'll spend the the latter half of the podcast breaking each of those points down when we actually address the question how leadership is applicable in the me. church. Don't mess with me. Look, drink, just I'm, drink some more of that cold brew. Todd. I've got a Trenta cold brew and I'm only through the first third of it. Okay, so, so deliberate practice is not fun, right? And let's actually, I think that's a good transition to our favorite quotes uh, because cool. I'll actually, I'll, I'll read a paragraph that comes after his point there when he was talking about the idea that deliberate practice is not inherently enjoyable. This is what he says here. If it seems a bit depressing that the most important thing you can do to improve in to improve performance is no fun, take consolation in this fact. It must be so. If the activities that lead to greatness were easy and fun, then everyone would do them and they would not distinguish the best from the rest. (laughs) That's tweetable right there. Uh, The reality that deliberate practice is hard can even be seen as good news. It means that most people won't do it. So your willingness to do it will distinguish you all the more. I'm going to go with the short one. (laughs) Uh, that is the scarce resource is no longer money. It's human ability. Yes. The roadblocks we face are mostly imaginary. Mm. There's one. Can I give you two or do you want yeah, to yeah. go on? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, another one is landing on your butt 20,000 times is where great performance comes from. <laughs> and I would agree with that. You haven't tweeted that one. No, no. I have not. <laughs> All right. This, is, this was a really neat little paragraph that he talks about where he talks about learning stages. And he says, when we learn to do anything new, how to drive, for example, we go through three stages. The first stage demands a lot of attention as we try out the controls, learn the rules of driving and on and on. In the second stage, we begin to coordinate our knowledge, linking movements together and more fluidly combining our actions with our knowledge of the car and the situation, the rules. And the third stage, we drive the car with barely a thought. It's automatic. And with that, our improvement at driving slows. It slows dramatically, eventually stopping completely. And this is, this is you know, the reason he shares this is actually because one of the things that they've discovered about great performers is that great performers never allow themselves to reach the kind of that, that, the, the pinnacle of their, of their achievement. 
And the reason that great performers don't allow themselves to get there is because when they get there, then they're going to turn into that third stage of learning, which is that automatic arrested development stage where you just stop learning, you stop growing, you're just doing everything automatically. So the idea of deliberate practice which is one of the things that separates great performers from the rest, you know, as the quote said, best from the rest, is the idea of uh, just not getting there and just continually deliberately learning. Okay, uh, so the, the um, quote that I mentioned is actually on page 187. The, and uh, you, there's a really good thing I underlined right before it. A study of figure skaters found that sub-elite skaters spent lots of time working on jumps they could already do, while skaters at the highest levels spent more time on jumps they couldn't do, mm. the kind that ultimately win Olympic medals and that involve lots and lots of falling down before they're mastered. So that's where the, on the following page, landing on your butt 20,000 times uh, quote comes from. Very good. Very good. All right. Uh, so. I got one more, man. Okay. All right. Uh, going back. Um Way back in the book, uh, many top performing organizations report a new tension between their need to develop people by moving them through different jobs and the need to develop their expertise in certain domains by leaving them in jobs. Um, that was the, the point I was talking about with Eli Lilly. Um, they found that managers don't seem to mind being put into these different roles and the extra effort that is required because they know they're being groomed for Ooh. Um, higher level thing. So yeah. when you put that in front of people and help them understand why, it's really helpful. Yeah, that is really good. Now, uh, in our next question, we just have two more book breakdown questions. And our next one, when we talk about how this book is applicable to leadership in the church, uh, I want to spend our time talking about really digging through deliberate practice, what it is, uh, then talking about how this can affect personal development and also staff development in your church. But before we get there, similar books, Todd, what, what comes to mind? You mentioned Peak, uh, yeah. Grit. I mentioned Peak and Grit already. Um, there was another one. I mean, uh, Checklist Manifesto that we've done yes. is another one. He, I haven't read it yet, but Humans Are Underrated are the new, is the new book that he just oh, authored. Cool. Yeah, Very cool. Yeah, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers. Yeah. You know, because, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks a lot about the 10,000-hour rule. Strengths Finder is another one, which I really want to break down because <laughs> I want to get at this in another perspective. Um, I mean, you know, Execution by Bossity is another one that I would say because it's really just about, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, it really is about discipline mm. because you just have to be willing to do what other people are not willing to do, yeah. which is part of the deliberate practice. Yeah, but the the aspect that he is missing is the talent piece where it is deliberate practice. It isn't fun. You do have to get into it. But there are certain areas where you should focus and other areas you shouldn't as That's a person, true. these natural talent areas. And even in that book, Flow, he talks about getting to that I guess, really, that state of flow, <laughs> right? That state of flow that you can actually, where you can actually perform at a high level. All right, so Todd, is this a summary, skim, sit down, or listen, and why? I'm going to go ahead and say this is probably a sit down. Mm. Um, 
just because it is a pretty foundational book, especially if you're leading people, um, whether that's in ministry, that's in business, wherever, it's really important. And I think it's an encouragement to you to do some of the hard stuff and to really understand the brain and to understand, yes, you do grow by leaps and bounds mentally at a young age, but you never outgrow um, the ability to learn. It may be harder as you get older, but you still have that ability. All right. Well, let's get to the meat of this episode, which is how deliberate practice, how talent is overrated is applicable to leadership in the church. So what is deliberate practice? The first point from the book is that it's designed specifically to improve performance. Okay, so I think the key word there is designed. Mm-hmm. So we would say uh, often that the ca- the difference between being great is all about intentionality. Most leaders are in the spot that they are because they were intuitive leaders. The road to greatness is being intentional. And so it means that, you know, it, it's not just in, it's not just uh, practice for practice sake. It's designed specifically to improve performance. So there's thought and intentionality behind that. Yeah. So the, one of the examples the book gives is golfers and Tiger Woods and other people. But the big thing is understanding that even professional golfers, they don't ever graduate from having teachers and trainers around them. Yeah. So even if you look at Tiger Woods, he was, he's been seen to drop golf balls into sand traps and step on them. And if you ever play golf, you, even if you hit the ball really hard into a sand trap, it usually doesn't sink in. It usually just lays on top because sand traps are pretty, uh, they're, they're pretty firm unless you get into certain areas where it's fresh sand and it'll actually drop in. So that's where Tiger, even though a, a, a golf ball being sunk into the sand trap is a shot that will hardly ever happen, he deliberately, intentionally practices that. He also talks about it being uh, vitally important to identify the learning zone. And mm. so learning zone... It's not simple to define, but you know when you're there and then forcing yourself to stay there until it changes and then finding that new learning zone as you continue uh, to grow. That's the first and most important characteristic of deliberate practice. Yeah, because in a sense, when you find that learning zone and you're you're growing through deliberate practice, it can get to that automatic stage. So then the key is to yeah find that new one and continue to dig deeper. All right, the second principle around deliberate practice is that it can be repeated a lot. It's all about high repetition. The idea that uh, you need to practice a task, perform the task, and continue to do so over and over. And and the thing about, and this is what I really appreciate about Jeff here, is that he's not just saying, hey, do dumb practice. So for example, I, Christina and I both, we, she played piano growing up, I played violin, and my girls are playing piano right now. And, and they have to put in their time 20, 30 minutes every day to, to practice their skills so that, you know, we're not wasting money and that they're actually growing. And one of the things that we teach them from an early on age is that, hey, when you get something wrong, like halfway through the piece, you don't go to the beginning. You just go one bar back and you practice that part that you got wrong 
over and over and over again until you can do it. And if you can't do it both hands, then do left hand first and then right hand separately and then bring it back together. This is something that my violin teacher taught me that it's, you know, it's very common in music. And that's the idea around deliberate practice that you're not just going through the motions and, you know, snapping a ball or hitting, you know, playing baseball or, or running around and just putting a lot of miles in when you're not actually running with unique and, and not unique, but but the right form. So the idea is repetition, but uh, doing it in the learning zone with a good coach that's helping you along the way. So I find it fascinating uh, since we're talking about Tiger. He, he's in the news. Um, it, I'm going to read you an excerpt. From the book. So he just wasn't, he was just interested in hitting golf balls consistently well. And at this, he may have been the greatest ever. Shot after shot was straight. And just like the one before it, his practice routine from age 16 to 32 involved hitting 800 balls a day, five days a week. He was obsessed with it. And about this, he claimed to have kept count of every ball he had ever hit. And by the mid 90s, he was up to 4 million. Top-level pro golf requires much more than just hitting straight balls, but at this particular skill, mind-boggling repetition produced an amazing ability. That's cool. That's really cool. Now, the next point is that feedback on results is continuously available. Now, I mean, feedback is one of those million-dollar questions in church life, isn't it? (laughs) It is because typically the better you get at something – or the higher you go in an organization, the less likely you are to ask for or receive honest feedback. Yeah, but there are situations in which a teacher, coach, or mentor is vital uh, to provide that feedback because blind spots are blind. I mean, they're called that because you yeah. can't see them. <laughs> you need someone else to point them out for you. Well, and I think you you see that um, – a lot of really successful people in the business world have coaches and they have people that are not only uh, sounding boards, but they're paying people to have difficult conversations with them because they may not be getting that from anywhere else. They're, mm. they're thinking, Hey, the people that I'm paying to be here for my, for our company are not going to tell me things I don't want to hear, but maybe an outside person is going to tell me the things that I really need to be focused on. Yeah. I like that. The next point around deliberate practice is that it's highly demanding mentally, right? So a finding from the book, uh, he he mentions that four or five hours a day uh, seems to be the upper limit of deliberate practice. And that's frequently accomplished in sessions lasting no more than an hour to 90 minutes. Now, you know, upon first glance, you're like, oh, four or five hours a day, that's probably not not a lot. And then you're like, wait a second. (laughs) Wait, I have work. I have to sleep. I have this. I have that. And there's, I mean, to to spend four to five hours, not per week, but every single day is a lot of time, right? It's a lot of time. And I think sometimes you can look at that and be like, oh, well, I, I, I can never get there. How can I get better at reading? How can I get better at writing or at preaching or at leading volunteers? What does it look like to spend four to five hours a day on that? And And I don't think we necessarily need to compare ourselves uh, with what he's talking about here, because he's you know specifically talking about chess champions or 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 athletes or or musicians who that is their work, right? Their work is they need to spend a lot of time every single day practicing their art and skill. And as a church leader, there's a lot of things on our plates. 
So I think part of the takeaway from this point specifically is, hey, what does it look like to spend at least four to five hours a week on a specific deliberate practice to grow better as a leader? Well, and part of the limitation uh, of time to an hour or 90 minutes is really all about, once again, intentionality and being there and mentally focused on that. So wherever you are, be there. Mm. And be there, be all in with your mind as well. And so it, it is to say that's one of the things that's most difficult, especially in this day and age with, you know, your phone buzzing or there's so many opportunities for distraction or to try to multitask. And when the reality is, especially when you're trying to learn a new skill or or be super intentional on improving a skill, you need to be all there and focused mentally. Mm, That's good. That's good. All right. Well, the last point is one that we've already talked about, right? That it's not that much fun. So let's talk about how deliberate practice going on from our last thought can help us grow as leaders, right? So let's, let's, let's get to how it's going to affect our team afterwards. But Todd, when you think about personal development, right, just us as leaders and the fact that you're listening to this podcast, I mean, that's even every week, that's deliberate practice. In a sense, it's, it's part of that knowledge. We say transformation is the intersection of knowledge, experience, and coaching, which lines up a lot with what we've talked about here. So when it comes to personal development, uh, what, what are some things that we can do Uh, In the book, he splits it up into two sections. One is practicing directly, and the other is practicing in the work. So let's break that down. Okay. So I I think uh, for me, the most difficult thing is that when he talks about it not being much fun, Mm. um, is it's not because if you're doing it right, it's exhausting mentally (laughs) as well as physically if it's a physical thing. And so trying to, to think about, okay, well, I already do this as part of my job. So those two, two factors that you talked about in the work and outside the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, especially if you're already doing it in the work, it's like, well, I'm going to be doing this anyway. You know, how do I do this outside of the work and it still be, I don't know, fun? Yeah. And it's probably not going to be. It's a discipline. <laughs> it is. It is. And that's why it's one of the key principles around what deliberate practice is. Well, okay. Let's just for a moment, if I can Jesus juke everyone. Um, I mean, it's just like your quiet time. If you're a pastor, you're mm. studying God's word. You're already there, man. You're doing it. So it's very easy for us to say, oh, I don't need to spend separate time um, in the word or I, I don't need to you know, have a uh, devotional time, quiet time, whatever you want to call it, Bible study time outside mm. of this. But the reality is we do. Yeah. And the reality is it's not always fun. Mm. If I can just go there and be completely upfront and honest, but it is a spiritual discipline for a reason. Mm. These are things that we must make part of our daily practice. Yeah. And the and the the faster our world gets, the more instant everything becomes. That's the thing, right? Instant gratification so that it's, hey, is if there's a way to directly link, hey, I'm going to read the Bible today. I mean, how, how, how often have you and your church members said about the Bible, oh, I didn't get anything out of it, or I didn't get anything out of the message, or I didn't get anything out of worship? I mean, that's totally consumeristic 
that is anti 1 Corinthians 3 that talks about you need to plant the seeds and water and God's the one that causes the growth. So even when it comes to spending time in the word daily, it's like, yeah, I mean, the point is not to get anything out of it. The point is to spend time with the Lord, to grow in your, to slow down, to listen to him, to, to, to engage with his word and allow him to speak into your life. And then he's going to transform you as a result of that. So I think the connection, the Jesus juke there, Todd, is, is really clear there because even when you come to deliberate practice, you're not going to see the results right away. Good. <laughs> All right. So in the book, I agree. we've <laughs> you agree because it was your point. So <laughs> good job myself. <laughs> okay. So in the, in the section around practicing directly, so think, so right now, the last question of our podcast is what can you do this week? And I think we're going to just, we're not going to skip over to that, but just think this week, what is an area that you want to grow in? What is an area in your life that you want to develop in that you need to uh, really focus and practice and get better at. Uh, if you, if you want to practice directly in that area, you can practice it like the music model. So we've talked about that aspect. So let's say you want to get better at preaching, then watch yourself preach, listen to yourself preach, identify aspects and areas, or even things that you might say. I used to say, you know, you know, you know, you know, right? I had that all the time, and I had to really in podcasts. Watch, I've, you're probably going to, next episode we're, we're going to record, I'm probably going to say you know a lot. You <laughs> but, probably are. But I, but I used to actually have a post-it note on my computer that would say you know, and in my preaching notes as well, and I would really practice at kicking that out. So that's the idea of the music model. The second one is the chess model, right? And that's the idea around case studies, right? And Harvard Business School is a is a big proponent for this where there's a lot of repetition, there's immediate feedback. You, you know, the whole idea around chess is you make the move and then you look at the textbook to see, hey, is this what that person would do? And you just keep on going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and the last model there would be the sports model where athletes build stamina because they build a base, a foundation through conditioning and then work on requiring... Um, specific skills as well, special skills as well. Yeah, I like that. So choose one of those. When you're thinking about the thing that you want to do this week, choose one of those ways to practice deliberately. Uh, that's that's the first way where you can directly practice. The other one is practicing in the work. And the author really breaks it down uh, in, in the perspective of what you can do before the work, during the work, and after the work. So in other words, set goals before the work, during the work, Make sure that you're, you're observing yourself, that there's that self-observation going on. And after work, make sure that you get feedback, right? So set goals, self-observation, and get feedback afterwards. And just repeat that over and over and over, over again. Over and over and <laughs> I mean, over even saying it over and over and over again and makes over. it sound really boring and tedious. And, and I don't want to do this, right? I'd rather just watch Netflix. Right. <laughs> Then but you'll just be average. Yes, exactly. There's going to be a difference between the best Life's and the rest. Life's too short to be average. <laughs> I mean, we only get one shot. We're going to be perfect at some point, <laughs> which will be awesome. But for now, you know, let's, yeah. Yeah, let's I, get I'm at more it. of a, um, you know, burn out, don't rust out kind of guy myself. Mm. Mm. Having said all that, though, I do believe that we do need to have rhythms of, 
intense go and also times where you relax, right? We see that scripturally too. And, and let's actually move into the last, uh, into that next question, which is what are things churches should ignore from this book? So even the idea of a Sabbath, right? Even the idea of uh, with the Israelites, that seventh year where the land would be resting, this idea of prepping, this idea of Jubilee. planning. <laughs> Yeah, Jubilee. So I think part of it is when you think about deliberate practice, when you think about growing in your skills of preaching, of leading people, communicating up and down, working, uh, getting things done, responding to emails, there has to be an on time, but there also has to be a resting time as well. What does that look like for you in your life, Todd? Resting? I'm not good at resting. Mm. Um. I'm really, really bad at resting. And people, I think, that have listened to the podcast know that, as well as um, I'm really bad at silence. And so the most convicting thing for me is when you were talking about earlier, you know, hey, what did I get from this worship service or what did I get from this time of the Word? It is, it's mostly, okay, I probably didn't get whatever, I probably didn't get anything because God couldn't break through mm. all the other stuff that my brain had hmm. still been participating in um i mean you know i'm ruined this side of heaven for worship Mm. um, because i the xp in me never leaves (laughs) and i want to handle things that are happening during the service or i wonder if they're going to mention this or this is coming up in two weeks i wonder um like all 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 that kind of stuff but even in a daily quiet time it's like okay i read that um and not just still and silent and waiting for you know like I don't know, to have time with God. I mean, just almost like being um, uh, Pharisaic in, oh, I've got this this checklist manifesto. I did yeah. that for the day. <laughs> now, you know, now I'm going to pray. Okay, well, I prayed and said amen. Well, maybe I should pause before I say amen. Maybe that's what stillness looks like mm. for me or um, is probably what I need to do a little, a little bit more. Yeah. Of now that I'm processing out loud with everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs> this is brought to you by the Daniel Counseling <laughs> Session <laughs> with LifeWay Leadership. No, uh, for me, it's, um, I've had, you know, if, if I had my way, right, I would watch a lot of TV and movies, play video games, and that's what that's what my evenings would look like after work and after putting the kids to bed. But uh, that I just feel like my brain goes dead that way <laughs> if I do that too much. So my wife and I actually have a lot of, we have a season of intensity and we have a season where maybe one day a week or, or after a couple months, we'll just kind of rest and we'll be like, okay, we're not going to work on our podcast. We're not going to, I'm not going to write because I'm in an intense writing season right now because uh, I want to get this book done. And it's like, no, I have to stop. I have to stop. We need to rest even though our to-do list is never done, we just need to stop and rest so that we can better get at it afterwards. So for me, every time I finish a chapter, I take a couple days off uh, just to celebrate and not have to think about it. Even though in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about the idea, I just take a little bit of time off before I get back into it. And then I start a chapter and I go, 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 finish, rest, So I find that even when it comes to work, you need to put in those rhythms. I mean, that's how God created us, right? All right. Well, that brings it to a close. Number three, 
book breakdown. Talent is overrated. Once again, if you have other books that you want us to break down, specifically uh, business books, leadership right, books, right. Uh, be sure to tag us, Todd's handle, Todd Atkins, on many of the social media platforms. Mine is Daniel, not Daniel M., even though that's my name, it's Daniel Sangi. Yeah, Sangi is my Korean name. So be sure to tag us both, give us your suggestions, and we will meet you back next week with our next episode on the Five Leadership Questions podcast. So I think this is a great time to segue into talking about one of the podcasts in our network, which is Making Disciples. Hmm. And much like talent is overrated, the crux of it is about discipline and Making disciples is often about daily disciplines, or we think about the spiritual disciplines. But if you really want to know what making disciples looks like on an ongoing basis, this is your podcast. Yeah. You want to listen to it. Yeah. If you, on your podcasting app, just look up Making Disciples, you'll see the podcast come up. You'll see our Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network logo there. Hit subscribe uh, in their last in their in their last I guess last couple months they've been talking a lot about the idea of a discipleship pathway which I love yes right I mean I'm all about that um, I teach and help churches on this as well so it was been, it was great to listen through and see that I agree with so much of what they talked about so be sure to subscribe listen in and don't forget to text leadership to triple eight triple one.